1: Ahoy, motherfuckers. It's Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian. With me, as always, <laughs> is Chris. And uh, it's funny. I actually spoke with a former host slash uh, fellow Mets podcaster, Jeffrey Paternostro, and he was going to start his show off with salutations, motherfuckers. So I said I would do ahoy in solidarity. Um, and uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about the unbelievable shit show that has been the last week of the Mets season. Chris, we've lived through a lot of bad Mets stuff. We, we have. We've written and podcasted about a lot of bad bad Mets stuff. Is this the pure worst PR week in your Mets fandom?
2: So it might be recency bias. I'd, I'd say yes is my gut answer to that. Uh, there have been some other bad ones. The... Tony Bernazard, yeah, Bernazard, Beltran's knee surgery, um, have lobby. (laughs) What else? Like ones that I really remember. I I feel like any of the Bobby Valentine stuff, and Matt Callan wrote about it so well in his book. And uh, you know, we we were all old enough to at least have pretty good memories of it at the time. Uh, I, I don't know that any of that stood out in that kind of way there wasn't a it, there was no bobby valentine equivalent of the fried chicken thing in boston you know right right so it sure feels like the worst uh purely uh, if i had a disclaimer purely from the mets playing baseball perspective the jose reyes situation was probably worse uh, in terms of how it felt, the fact that he was brought back, the fact that he was so bad on the field, all of that maybe was something that had a longer lasting impact on people. But on the baseball side, yeah, I, I wasn't old enough to have like a real knowledge of or memory of the. Saber Hagen thing right the Vince, Vince Coleman the that whole super content contentious um, interaction with the public and the media and all that so yeah I I would rank it up there given all of those parameters hmm. I, I think it's about the worst it's just... Terry Collins would say things. Jerry Manuel would say things. Willie Randolph would say things. But I don't think any of them said them as consistently. And none of them got to a point that everything did with Mickey Calloway on Sunday. And, and yeah, that's where we are.
1: Well, I so I, I have a sub question for you. All right. Which is, has there ever been a time, let's just call it an hour time at Amazing Avenue, okay, mm-hmm. where the Willpawns were not the biggest joke of the week in Metzville? Mm. This is, to me, this is the first, this is the first time that somebody who's not a Willpawn has done something this egregiously bad.
2: Yeah, I think this rises to the level of Fred Wilpon with the David Wright infamous interview. He's not Not a a superstar, superstar. all that. This is on that level. And again, baseball or strictly the operational side of things, the, the story about... The lawsuit filed against the Mets and Jeff Wilpon for his behavior with um, with Lee Castorine. I'm blanking a little bit on the pronunciation of her full last name, but uh, that it, that that was probably the moment that stood out the most. In between not a superstar and now, but even that was a pretty decent time ago. So. And that, and that was, a, to me, like,
1: while I vehemently disagree with what Fred Wilpon said, and it was super clueless to say it, it wasn't – it was clearly his opinion that you could disagree with. It was somebody expressing an unpopular opinion. It's not lashing out at a reporter.
2: Yeah, it wasn't
1: – he wasn't trying to like pick a fight with somebody.
2: Right. And it wasn't crossing a line. It, David Wright was still, is still, uh, very loyal. Very much a, a part of the fabric of the Mets. How much he's involved on any regular basis, we don't really know. But he's... Yeah, he's he's there. It didn't cause a rift or anything. It was just sort of a thing that fans got to make fun of and continue to make fun of, and rightfully so, and yeah. and all that. But yeah,
1: I don't know. This just this seems to me like the absolute worst worst Mets PR week. And for once, if I said it, it's not the fault of of the uh, of the Wilpons necessarily. I also think that there should be a a distinction made here between the incident that happened on Sunday and the reaction to it on Monday. Um, You know, to to borrow a legal term, Sunday seemed like a crime of passion Mm -hmm. where everybody was just at their wits end and people reacted poorly. And while it's not excusable in any circumstance to threaten somebody else, especially in a work environment... I think we've all been at the end of our rope, and we've said things we maybe wish we didn't say. That is a world of difference than what Calloway and Vargas did on Monday, which was fail to apologize for what happened and Calloway specifically being asked if he was sorry and him dancing around it so conspicuously, and then you know um and then just uh. And then having to call a second press conference. I mean, just just absolutely insane. You know, I don't, I, I really, I can't remember anything like that ever happening before. Just
2: so terrible. Um, right, yeah, it, it's... Uh, not to dip into, oh, I tweeted this thing, but... As this is going on, as soon as I see that the reporters have been called back into you know, the room or his office or whatever, they've been called back in so he can readdress the situation. My mind immediately jumps to Larry David <laughs> wondering whether or not his apology is good enough yep. and, and then saying – yeah uh, if I fuck up the apology, I'll, I'll apologize for the bad apology <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and Jeff's response to him in that conversation is like, what no, 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 you you get one shot. you can't there's no you can't do it again, but that somehow that's where the Mets wound up i I, I just don't know and the organization overall is not radically different. obviously, somebody else is in charge with Jay Horowitz. Transitioning to the alumni role, you know, retiring from that intense day to day, being with the team all the time, that kind of thing. And I don't know, maybe give some perspective to that job that whether or not somebody's doing that exceptionally well or pretty well or, you know, average or, or below, they just, there's only so much you can control in prepping the guy who's going to go out there and speak. Yeah. So yeah. it would apply to Fred Wilpon several years back, and it certainly applies to Callaway here. I can't imagine that there was a group of people who spoke with him and concluded, <laughs> oh, yeah, just say that's private. It's between me and him. <clears throat> That'll work. Bring up Billy Martin, that'll work. <laughs> I, I don't know. I do actually. One of the things I'm most curious about with that whole process is whether or not Mickey Callaway got home that night and was just pissed off and like, ah, uh, uh, it's out there, and I can't, I can't go to sleep. And he goes on the internet and and just Google's like uh, worst things baseball manager. <laughs> And then sifts through and goes, oh, Billy Martin punched a reporter one time. Okay, that's what I'm going to use. But I want to know if that was from him, if it was somebody, a friend or family member who happened to re- remember that that was the thing and and mentioned it to him. I want to know how between Sunday night and Monday that little tidbit got into his head. And it's entirely possible that he just remembered reading about it and knew it was a thing and was keeping it in his back pocket for one he inevitably fucked up as manager. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but yeah, that that's it's kind of fascinating how that came out. And getting back to the the point with the PR staff and and dealing with the folks who are facing the the public and the press and everything. It, you just can only do so much. I, as much as I think, the Mets have a lot of uh, issues with getting messaging straight and all that. And we saw it certainly on uh, on a different scale. But we saw it with with Terry Collins. We saw it with managers before him, where the the player, the manager, the GM. And some, you know, unnamed source from the organization, any combination of them might have a different answer to something that's the same. But, I don't know. Maybe it kind of just speaks to the, in some part, to the difficulty of it. I'm not not trying to make excuses for the team, but maybe it's just Mickey Calloway is so much who he is that you couldn't get him to say something that made sense. I, I I just, but it's the most basic thing. Just, just say either publicly say, I apologize to the team, my players, the front office, our fans. I reacted poorly. And then it, instead he went with the whole, Oh, I, 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 can control my reaction. I can't control what it, what somebody else said to me. And he said that a few times and I'm I'm sitting there like, what? That's like, who- what
1: I, that's what I tell my seven year old all the time.
2: Right. 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 So who's, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. That's like literally my, like my sagely father advice. Like, you know, you can't control what others say to you, but you can control how you treat them. And that's, you know, and and, and that's appropriate life advice for me to give to a seven year old you should be you should already know that by the time you are an adult and that shouldn't be it just you know everything about this is so unbelievably backwards i mean again just the fact that jeff wilpon issued a, an apology and called tim healy himself on sunday night the fact that jeff wilpon has the moral high ground in any conversation is flabbergasting
2: the right, and it's, it speaks to the situation that the team had a statement and that he made a personal phone call to apologize, and they did it quickly.
1: Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, again, it's, it's flabbergasting, right? Yeah. Um, but it, sort of even beyond that, just the idea that Callaway, I mean, Callaway had to know from jump, like, I'm going to have to talk to the press about this. I can't say no, unless I'm getting fired right now, I can't just no comment this away, right? I have to to say something to somebody about this relatively soon. And so he had to have thought, or somebody must have said to him, hey, have you thought about how you're going to answer this question when it inevitably comes up? And either he didn't think about that, Or he just totally whiffed in the moment, you know, like, when when you're saying to yourself, like, don't say whatever, don't say whatever, don't say whatever, and then you come out and this is the first thing you say, like, maybe, maybe he legitimately just fucked it up and was trying to, to apologize and didn't, but it just, it just seemed to me like the overall tone of Callaway and Vargas was, we're not sorry, you might want us to say you're, say we're sorry. And we'll, we'll say what we have to say to keep our jobs. But ultimately, we are not sorry for this. We do not feel like we did anything wrong here. And there, there's a difference between getting angry and having righteous anger and whatever you want to say. And, and not thinking that you were wrong. Like, not thinking your position was wrong. But admitting that what you did was wrong. That your actions were not what they should have been. And if you can't make a distinction between those things, then I feel like you're not an adult. Who which of us hasn't apologized for something at our jobs that wasn't our fault? Just like just just to move the conversation along. Yeah. Right? I mean, don't, don't we do that all the time at work? Right. I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> it's it's part of adulthood, you know? You eat shit for something you didn't do because it keeps the peace and it moves everything along. It's just what you do sometimes at your job. And I don't understand how Calabi doesn't get that. And I think that Vargas somewhat, I mean, Vargas was more in the wrong. Vargas physically threatened Healy. And that is, that is worse than just calling him a motherfucker. I think we can all agree with that. But I'll say this. Vargas does not Vargas is not as media trained nor is he expected to speak for the entire team in the way that Callaway is. Callaway's entire job when speaking to the press is to represent the organization. Even when he's answering questions about what he did during a game, he is he is filtering that through this this understanding that I have to represent the organization as well as I can, here, and the fact that that he that every day he has to do this and he's not better at this, is is sad I guess, um, but more than all of that and and this is the thing I feel like I'm not seeing enough people talking about, even if you don't believe that cursing at a reporter. Is a terrible thing. Even if you don't believe that Callaway and Vargas deserve to be suspended for their actions, I don't see how this can put any confidence in you about how Callaway is going to avoid adverse or not avoid, deal with adversity in the future. You know, there the excuse for this was that, well, it, it's close quarters in Chicago and it was a devastating loss. Okay. That doesn't that doesn't excuse you from from acting the way you did, and I think that if if a beat reporter doing his job is enough to get you to flip your lid, then what's going to happen if you run into real adversity in, during the season?
2: Yeah, and one of the details that <clears throat> has been maybe not focused on, but it, it's been a thing that people have talked about, wondering. Oh, how did he say it? what 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 was the context? How did he say it? What did it sound like in person and all that? And pretty much everything that we've heard from colleagues who are who are in the room was that it wasn't said in some overly sarcastic way and all that. I can picture it in my head and you know i I haven't spoken to to Tim Healy for more than a couple minutes in total ever, so I, I I don't know him well enough to make any specific assumptions. But after that press conference in in the post game, uh, I, I could see it being maybe like a little snarky, not in a way that at all warranted any of the responses that it got. Right. But clash a little bit in the press conference and then be like, see you tomorrow, Mickey. You the you know just a little, not like. People had talked about, oh, does Callaway interpret it, that he's insinuating he might not be there tomorrow and all that. I think that was taking it a little too far. I can just see, or I can, I can imagine hearing just a little bit of, of that, we, we didn't get along, we'll be back here tomorrow doing the same thing. And well, that's,
1: then, that's kind of the way I took it, was just, you know, if you're not going to answer this for me today, well, then I'll see you tomorrow when we ask the same question again. You know, yeah but but ultimately, even but if it, it was said sarcastically, that's still not an excuse for what he did,
2: right, oh, yeah, no, no, not at all uh, and I know
1: you're not saying that. I'm just you no. know just reinforcing <laughs> that
2: yeah. right, and I guess I wonder if if that exchange happened and Calloway just flipped him off and smiled, I don't think we would have heard about it. At all. I really don't. I also wonder if we would have heard about it if it was just Callaway, if Vargas hadn't taken a step or two toward him or what you know, what wherever that exactly was finalized, if he hadn't moved in his direction and said what he said, that certainly made it newsworthy. So if Callaway hears it and just flips him off and keeps walking. I don't think any reporter would have put that out there and, and said anything of it. And no. it could have conveyed the same message without throwing a tantrum.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Revoid. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: And I, I, I want to preface this. I have not spent any time in a major league clubhouse. I am talking out my ass here. But <laughs> I would imagine that like a lot of sort of, uh, you know, more casual work environments, I'm sure people swear relatively frequently in a clubhouse, and I'm sure that the manager has a good enough relationship with certain reporters to say, like, Haha, fuck you, or, you know, something along those lines, right? Where it's not, where the, the tone is clearly indicating that you're not angry, but you're using a word that can be used in an angry situation, right? I'm sure that maybe if not Callaway, I'm sure there are managers out there who have that relationship with certain members of the press. I always got the impression that um, that Terry Collins had that kind of relationship with some members of the press.
2: Oh, yeah. uh, I'm comfortable with saying that I didn't make it down to spring training this year, but last year was Terry's first, uh, having been relieved of managerial duties, but still being an advisor within the organization and Callaway was in his first spring training as as manager and there was a conversation with uh with Collins that involved another staffer or two from the Mets and I just happened to be there on that field at that time and the conversation itself was off the record, but I can say the language, uh, <laughs> he wasn't shy. He was really good at not swearing when he was in his on the record, on camera, in front of reporters Right. Grapes. mode. Yeah. Right, exactly. But he he could handle that distinction well. And yeah, he, he knows how to say all those other words.
1: And I'm, and I'm sure that they've been said in non-confrontational ways to him and by him to members of the press many times. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean you you had called this like back back I would think it was last spring training or maybe early in the season, Cal California... no, no.
2: Yeah, it was that same spring training trip because I had just gone in for one of the yeah, you know, spring training post game
1: mm-hmm. uh pressers. And and you had said to me, I don't know if you said it on the show or just to me, you know, sort of, you know, in conversation that you felt like Calloway was maybe, how would you describe it? What did you say? Like like you could see him having an outburst. You could see him getting upset. Like how did you, how did you phrase it? I can't remember exactly how you phrased it.
2: Yeah, I think it was, I don't think it was specifically an outburst, but it was just sort of a disproportionate response to a question given the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened here. The circumstances were just, much more significant. So I, I, I have no recollection of what the specifics were, but it was some series of questions from the beat reporters to him following Whispering spring training game and why he did this or why he did that. And he just got that little bit of something
1: he to his a little, answers.
2: A little bit indignant
1: maybe, or a little bit, uh, defensive.
2: Yeah. A little bit of that, I'd, I'd say defensive and also combined with superiority
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, So yeah, it, it didn't shock me that this eventually happened. It, it was just a it was a weird vibe. I don't know if it was picked up on TV in the same way that I noticed it there. Ah, I've got a scratchy throat. Hold on. Um, sure.
1: <laughs> um but the uh I mean I I think the I think you definitely see that in in some of his pressers and I, I just so I wanna somewhat shift the conversation forward here because people smarter than us have talked about this a lot and you know, while I'm sure our insights are invaluable and appreciated by everybody. I do want to look a little bit forward here. I right. think a lot of other organizations would have fired Callaway that night and would have gotten no brushback from it. I think that other organizations would have fired him after his non-apology on Monday and gotten no brush, brush back from it. Callaway is still the Mets manager. They have now lost three games in a row to Philadelphia, who lost seven games in a row before they played them. Uh, lost tonight's game in very frustrating fashion to uh Jay Bruce walk off double uh the bullpen blew yet another game. Is there any conceivable way that Callaway finishes this season as Mets manager?
2: I guess I would say yes just if they want to say we're going to leave it in place ride this season out whatever and then fire him at the end of the season. But uh, let's see if I, I could be more specifically, prophetic in this case, I said at some point in pizza on Monday evening, I guess. Pizza, by they, the way,
1: is the amazing is one of the amazing Avenue Slack channels, just for those listening.
2: Yeah, uh, to to quote one of my favorite Jerry Seinfeld lines from the show: "Oh, it's a scene, man."
1: <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but but in that conversation. Uh, It had to be Monday evening because they had had the whole outburst and and threats and all that on Sunday night. And then Monday during the day, press conference part one, Monday evening, press conference part two. And I think that was around the time that I said, would it be the most Mets thing ever to not fire him last night or today and then have the Mets get, uh, I forget if I said get swept, but they're three quarters of the way there but but get swept or have a terrible series in Philadelphia and then fire him at the end of the four game series where you were so close to getting it right with, the, with what happened in Chicago and, and the next day, but you also come off as firing him for not that reason. I mean, if they lose again, whether listeners are hearing this before or after this game on Thursday afternoon, uh, If they lose again, this was as miserable a road trip as everybody thought it might be. Yeah. And strictly from a baseball perspective, you could fire Callaway at that point. But then you just have this awkward, well, why did you fire him now? Why didn't you do it three days ago? Well, you know, I I actually
1: think I have an answer to that. Okay. Okay. I think what people would I think what the Wilpons would say is that we're not firing him for what he did. We're firing him for baseball reasons. And so on Sunday night they split a series with a first place team over the course of a weekend, you know, um you know, almost one, three or four. Theoretically, you could say they could have swept the series like he he wasn't managing bad baseball on Sunday night. No matter what happened, he wasn't managing bad baseball. Then he managed bad baseball for four days and now we're firing him. Yeah, I'm not saying that's a good reason, right? But I could see it happening.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to some extent, they could kind of go, it's the cumulative body of work. Sure. I mean, usually when you fire somebody, you don't get into too many details until you leak it to somebody in the press like a month later. <laughs> right. So I wouldn't expect a full essay on it, but they could frame it in the sense of the the performance wasn't there. We, we had to discipline him. That's even though for the amount of money they're making, it's not that much of a fine. At least there's a record that the team did discipline these guys in some way. So they could basically frame it as baseball is the top priority. It's not going as well as we want. And also obviously there were other factors that came into play and make it sort of a balanced thing. But, I don't know. If you weren't going to fire him early this week, I think you kind of have to get to the end of the season and then do it and say this was a disappointing season, which right now I don't think anybody expects anything other than that. (laughs) Um, It was a disappointing season. We've parted ways with Mickey. We're going to give Brody a chance to hire a a new manager. We're going to do the most thorough search. Only the best people. Sorry. Huh. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> there are
1: mentions. Uh, um,
2: but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, if you, there's no stronger commitment. A few weeks ago when he was almost fired or about to be fired, according to some reports, and they had the, I didn't think it was that awkward. I thought it actually got painted as being a little more awkward than it was. Uh, but Van Wagening comes out and says, "He, we have confidence in him. He's our guy and everything. And he wouldn't specifically say he'll definitely be here until the end of the season. He, I think he said something like for the foreseeable future. Right. I, I thought that may have actually gotten blown up a little bit too much based on what he had said. But if that was... The, clearly that moment didn't break that uh, that feeling that they were going to keep him around. So if Sunday night and Monday afternoon didn't do it, then I don't see how you can uh, fire him until the season's over and you have a conclusion on how poorly it went. That doesn't mean I don't think they should. It doesn't mean I think it's the best thing, but... That's that's ultimately why I said, hey, this might be the most Mets way to handle it. Don't fire him at a moment when everybody pretty much, except for, I think, a handful of people uh, would have been like, OK, yep, yeah, you can't do that. That was that was a messed up thing for him to do. I'm on board. And then just wait a few days and uh, and and do it then. So I don't know. Nothing would surprise me at this point, but I think you'd leave him. Just leave him there. Let him uh, somebody also another pizza reference here. There's more pizza than I like to share on the podcast normally. Yeah. Um but it's all it's all good. But somebody had said maybe the punishment is leaving him there.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's good. Um so I don't think we know how much Mickey Calloway makes a season, do we?
2: Um, I don't recall it being specifically mentioned. Oh, wait, hang on, hang on.
1: Maybe it I, is here.
2: Maybe in the range of one and a half to two million, something like that. If, if I'm guessing, I think Terry was making a little more than that. Mickey Calloway is
1: making $850,000 this year.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, all right. So half of the lower end of my estimate. Okay, so... Which, to be clear, still a really good salary.
1: Absolutely. But... Uh, I, you, you or I would be very happy to get that salary.
2: Yeah, i I don't think there's a job in baseball that I would turn down for that salary.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, um, so... Callaway's, uh, Callaway and Vargas were suspended um, – sorry, were fined $10,000 apiece for this incident. For Vargas, that is the equivalent – if you if you take Vargas's contract and you uh, figure out the percentage of it that $10,000 is, and then you apply that to $50,000, which I, we're just going to use as like a a median middle class salary, okay, $50,000 – that's the equivalent of a $64 fine. Yeah, for the year. For Callaway obviously, it's a it's a little bit different than that because Callaway is making a tenth a little bit less than a tenth of what um Vargas is making this year. But still, that means that it's equivalent of, you know, uh it's just it's it is really not a, su- a substantial uh it's not a substantial fine and and my question with all of this is if if the organization is giving the impression that that you can do this and not have your livelihood affected in any major way do you think that we're going to see more of this or is the embarrassment factor such that just no one's going to, no one's going to pull this shit again
2: uh, this
1: is the parent to me coming out again here, right? <laughs> We're like when my kids do something wrong, I have to make sure to to make to put the punishment there to to in, to to make sure they don't do it again. You know, that's the whole point of a punishment is that they learn from it. And I don't know if this if this number is particularly troubling.
2: Yeah, that's true. I know when Gary Cohen spoke about it during the game tonight, he had mentioned that at least in the the case of Vargas, uh, because of the players' association, that might have been the maximum fine they could do uh, without getting into grievances and drawing it out and sure. making it a whole thing. So I, I get that. Um, but the team could have
1: suspended him.
2: Yeah, yeah, that 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 was also an option. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think. The embarrassment is probably more of a deterrent than than, um, than the money. In either case, you would think, you would hope. Yeah. At the very least, I would think everybody who's in the room for those things and then saw the aftermath would kind of have that in their head. Yeah. Oh, you, uh, you know what? It's not worth it. Um. You know, the old cliche about picking a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. Right. Uh, in this case, somebody who puts pixels on screens. I don't, I don't know the best way <laughs> yeah. to put it, but but, <laughs> yeah, just don't do that. I mean, it's not even specific to the press side of it. Just be a decent person in a workplace and don't treat people like shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> these These novel ideas that we have, Chris. Um, so I, I did a guest spot yesterday on SB Nation Radio for uh, a show that 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 is a general sports talk show. And usually, when I'm called for these things, like last year when the Harvey thing happened, I think both of us, um, you know, got lots of questions about about appearing on places to talk about you know, the Matt Harvey situation. But sometimes yeah. you get a call and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what they want to talk about. I had, I had obviously 100% confidence they were calling, they wanted me to talk about Mickey Calloway. Oh, yeah. And so I, I was, but I was really interested to hear how somebody who doesn't deal in Mets stuff day to day would feel about this. And the first question I was asked was something like, what the hell is going on with your team? And you know, I don't think that this host I mean obviously he was prepped for our our chat, but I don't think he was a diehard Mets fan following this and he said, like, you know, how many more embarrassments can this team have this season? And I think if you're a national sports writer or sports broadcaster who doesn't pay attention to one particular sport or team over another necessarily and you know how bad the Mets are looking this season, I mean, I just I don't see how the team can lack so much shame that they don't have to address this in a more serious way. I just don't. I can't. I can't imagine being the Mets and being okay with being the laughingstock of baseball.
2: Right, and especially as you've heard reactions that have been either quotes from other executives or uh, press conferences that other managers have had, where members of the media in those cities have have dropped see you tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and brought up questions about kind of the balance of being out there on the field, being a competitor, and then very quickly getting into the clubhouse and going into your public facing mode and all that. So, but I, I don't know. I think this gets to the point that you brought up at the top of the show. You. How many times has somebody in a Mets uniform spoken to the press and had it be be a thing that inspires writers who write for, I don't don't want to say it happened on every other team, but writers from other teams to reference it and, and make fun of it. And I mean, for lack of a better term, it was a bit of a meme. Yeah. Uh, somebody had recently said
1: that uh, every day there's one person who's the main character of Twitter, and it's your job as a human being to never be that person. And I feel like Mickey Calloway was the main character of Twitter on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I know uh, a couple of examples of that specifically would be, uh, I forget if it was, I think it was Lindsay Adler. Uh, it may have been Laura Albanese. uh the L names. I'm. 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 It's one of the two. I think it was Lindsay who had brought up that uh, a baseball writing friend of hers uh, was using a dating app and got a message from someone who opened with a reference to the Mickey Callow- Calloway situation as <laughs> as like the first message of a conversation in that dating app. <laughs> um, on, on a closer, pro- in closer proximity to my day to day. I know there's somebody uh, in in my office who made a reference to another diehard Mets fan I work with uh, uh, about the way Callaway spoke to Healy. Uh, again, not somebody who would bring up a Mets thing to to my coworker or to me. It, like The only other circumstance where I had imagined that that would happen that specific conversation would be if the Mets won the World Series, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, like, like that <laughs> that 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 magnitude. So yeah, to be the running joke. I actually, um, for research purposes, and I enjoy uh, the comedy of a couple people who are on late night TV, not all of them. But I, I'm curious. I, I'd imagine I would have seen it if they referenced it. I, I, but I was a little surprised to not have seen references to it from, you know, whether it's Colbert, my personal favorite, um, Seth Conan, Myers,
1: Conan. Like, there's lots of people who maybe would have right. come up. And when Jimmy, Co- Jimmy Fallon's the one I
2: don't watch. But even well, like whatever, I mean, like
1: of course you don't watch him. You have an IQ over seven. Um,
2: <laughs> but yeah, it you know. was. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Um,
1: I actually know some very nice people who work on his show. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, no, no, that's okay. And um, oh man, I, yeah, I'm 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 in a sharing mode. Uh, I I insulted a writer for one of Seth Meyers' writers.
1: I remember this story. Yes.
2: (laughs) In a in a social, not a giant social context, but just in a context where, um. The Mets shittiness came up in a way that I just fired back with an insult that was uh, maybe a little over the top. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I regretted it, but it was uh, you know it was it was a little harsh. But yeah, um, there, are, there are there are good people writing for shows no matter how much you enjoy them or not. But
1: right.
2: yeah, but yeah, uh, I'm just surprised it didn't because it it felt like because of the ways it came up in other. Uh, parts where, where the Mets kind of were cultural instead of just sports um, for their LOL Mets. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised. Maybe I missed them, but I'm just a little surprised that there weren't lines in the monologues of the late night shows taking shots at uh, at the Mets. Yeah. And and it's one thing I I I, I love. Stephen Colbert's work, um, and um, I've I've watched the show. I've enjoyed the way he's sort of presented it and the and the focus it's taken on, and all that. And without getting political with it, I mean everybody knows what his show's about on a nightly basis. But I think that's one difference with that show. Where if it was Letterman, there would have been at least two match jokes.
1: Oh, of course, yes. On
2: Monday, yeah. and the gravity of the situation and the approach for Colbert um, is just different. Given yeah. Yeah. Anything else. But well, that's what, 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 what I was going to say was that, you know, win. yeah,
1: what, what I was going to say was that, you know, maybe there's just so many horrible things happening in the world this week that like this, this gets somewhat shuttled, you know, shuffled off to the side when it comes to late night comedy. Right. You know, when the president basically says that he's glad that he's glad a senator died, you know, you uh, you don't really focus on the Mets as much then, I guess.
2: Right. So, but they're there. Uh, the the they're there for comic relief. Sure. Yes. I, I am somebody who has used hashtag lol Mets sarcastically. Eighty-five percent of the time.
1: Right. Of course.
2: And. Sometimes they are actually the LOL Mets, and yes. yeah, so yeah, I, I would I, say
1: this week they went from even being LOL Mets to being the Facepalm Mets. Yeah, one one step beyond.
2: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Ahoy, Mets fans. It's Brian from Mason Avenue Audio, the show with a quick news bulletin. My co-host, Chris McShane, recently released an album with his band, the Los Hot Quesos. It's called Hot Queso. And it is phenomenal. I had the pleasure of seeing these boys in the Bronx for the record release party on Saturday night. And it was everything you want a rock and roll show to be. The album is so great. Go to Hotquesos.com and pick it up digitally or on vinyl. I recommend the vinyl. Enjoy. Hot Queso. Let's talk about something other than, than Callaway and Vargas for a minute. Sure. So also on this radio appearance uh, I was asked if I thought the Mets had a run in them. That could they could they put a run together and get back into relevance. And I said that I think that there are lots of pieces on the team that make you believe that's a possibility. I said but the bullpen is so bad that I cannot see the team making a run with a with this bullpen as currently constructed, or even without, without essentially blowing it up, without having almost almost an entirely new collection of pitchers, I don't see it happening. Because the bullpen has just been that bad. It's been absolutely atrocious. And for a team that hasn't had a particularly good bullpen in a long time, this feels like an especially troublesome, bad, frustrating bullpen. Um, do you agree that no matter how good the other elements of the Mets team are unless they make a, some changes in the bullpen they have no real postseason future this year
2: yeah and I don't see how you make those kind of changes at this point in time uh, same yeah you're not gonna go and trade a bunch of prospects for relievers uh, in hopes of riding the ship That, that that's obviously far too risky and short-sighted um and that there aren't you know it's it's late june now so in early june there was one really good reliever out there who was just available for money uh that's not the case anymore so yeah it's i've been obviously optimistic in general over the last few years uh more so than I'd say the average Mets fan at certain points in Sandy Alderson's tenure and all that. And even I'm at a point that tonight they were up four nothing and I was just like, "Mm, that's not enough. Yeah. They're going to lose. And man, that kind of talk during a game, if somebody else did that to me during a game, I'd say before 2019 and maybe even before the last month, I'd hate it. I'd, 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 go, I'd be like, "Oh come on, like stop! Don't dread every situation. It's not all going to end poorly." And yet here we are tonight. They're up for nothing, and I was just sitting and there Vargas going. Vargas
1: is cruising. Like right. he's he's trolling all of us. How well he's pitching.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And they can't do it. Right. So. We, but with all that I'm sitting there having that thought that I would normally hate to have somebody else text to me. And it turns out to be true. It turns out it's not enough they they blow it and uh, I don't know. I just remember in May when people were reciting how good the Mets May bullpen ERA was. Yes. Yeah, that was a thing. That was there was an old series on the site, Forgotten First Half, and I feel like that would be a, a very good item for uh, mm. for that.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, even even if you try and put on the rosiest colored glasses you can, and think, all right, maybe the Mets could flip both Dom Smith and. Todd Frazier and Jason Vargas for some bullpen pieces. I don't know if I don't know if 3 or 4 bullpen pieces are even enough, and that's crazy to say. But who do you trust in the current bullpen, Chris?
2: Uh, uh Edwin Diaz. Generally, okay. I I, we, I know sure. the talent is there. Yep. We spent the first couple of weeks of the season saying like wow, the, uh, look at that fastball, look at the way it moves, look at his stuff, all that. Uh, we, we know what he's capable of. He has a track record. The whole approach to using him for more than an inning is ultimately what fueled the fire of everything that happened on Sunday. And um, it's just been weird. But as a, that's the team, that's the manager, that's the front office, that's all that. Uh, As a player, I still trust him. So that would be a situation. um, Mets are up three, four runs, or maybe even just one run, and he comes in and somebody says, ah, the Mets are going to lose. I would still have that frustration of, come on, don't don't do that. This guy's good. So I still have that level of confidence in him. And then right now, that's it. And I, I... I don't know. Like, I don't know how long can we say the same thing that, well, you never know. Maybe one of these guys turns out to be good. And, and I never want to shit on guys who are, you know, fighting to stay in the major leagues or make it to the major leagues. I feel like that's probably one of the most vulnerable positions somebody could be in when they're being paid to play a sport. Um, and, and I don't want to take that for granted, but I don't know. I, we've gone long enough with generally the same group of guys saying well, maybe a couple of them turn out uh, good or okay or, or even better than that. But I just don't see it. There's not – it's not like it's been a, a new wave of guys uh, – Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they've had, uh, I, I'm looking this up as I as I say it, but they've had 20 different pitchers pitch and relief this year. And I don't have offhand whether or not that's way above average, way below average, but it's a lot. It is. It's a lot of different guys. And of the 20, three of them have an ERA below three. One of them is Wilmer Font, who I I think we... (laughs) He's uh, already below three? It's still 2.7 right now. Was any of the... Well, okay, two things. One, it's relief only, so the stars don't count. Okay. So that's part of it. And then two, were any of the runners that scored last night not his maybe one of them was I don't remember yeah I was uh I followed that game on at bat on the phone which seems like maybe I paid too much attention to it but <laughs> but yeah he, he gave up three runs in the third of an inning um I, I know somebody had made the joke of like oh you know Wilmer France good for a week, a week like that's over yeah So yeah, and then the other two are Ryan O'Rourke, who's thrown an inning and a third. And was DFA'd today. Yep. (laughs) And then Seth Lugo, who had a a bit of a rough outing tonight. So I'd actually, let's see, did he go over three? Yep, he sure did. So uh, yeah. But Lugo still, despite having had a rough week. Yes. He's there. Diaz and Chris Flexen and Paul Seawald, who have the, the latter of the those three have combined to throw fourteen innings. And then after that, it's you're in the mid fours and then plus and plus plus plus. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean I think, you know, I still trust Diaz. recent misfortune aside, I more or less trust Lugo.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh I- yeah, I I do with
1: him, yeah, yeah I half trust gazelleman and familia, and I trust no one else and I, and my half trust is being generous it's just rough right now yeah it is we had an email about this this week uh not about not about the bullpen specifically, but about how tired they are of hearing us complain about Calloway's bullpen management. <laughs> um, <laughs> so sorry. Um, I still think he's terrible. It's from a guy named George Hurley, who I'm really hoping is the George Hurley who drummed for the Minutemen. Oh,
2: if, that would be amazing. If
1: you are that Georgie Hurley, email us. We'll have you on the show.
2: Uh, of
1: course. We'll, we'll talk about how great side two of Double Knuckles on the Dime is. Um, but well, we have one other email this week from our friend Ryan, and he has two questions for us. I'm just going to ask him to you, and you got to give me your gut reaction, okay? All right. Number one is Cano the latest version of Robbie Alomar? Uh, no. Yeah, I think it's too early to, to say that just now. Um,
2: I. Uh, me too.
1: Yeah, there. I suppose there's a chance of that, but we're a long way away from that. Yeah. Um, especially because Robbie Alomar didn't have five years in his contract, so he might Robbie Alomar might be the preferable situation if Cano is this bad for this long. Though I don't think that's going to be the case. And uh, number two is, is Dom Smith. If Dom Smith keeps hitting, is it worth keeping him around if there's a good shot at a National League designated hitter soon? I believe they said 2021 would be the earliest that would happen. Correct? Mm, yeah. And so, no, I don't think it's worth keeping Dom Smith for two seasons if you're just banking on there maybe being an NLDH in two
2: years. Yeah, that's not a reason to do that. I guess in a Mets-specific circumstance where you would expect the owners won't spend money on a DH if one comes to the National League, I could see a way of kind of twisting into that. Sure. Um, And, hey, the... The owners are the owners. That is reality. So I'm not. I'm not even necessarily knocking that. But I think the I think the front office, to the extent that it can, should operate in a way that is the most rational, logical, and efficient way of making the Mets win when they have that situation. And I don't think you hold on, Smith just for that clearly Alonzo is your starting first baseman. And it, I will say maybe I've just muted enough people on Twitter, uh, but I haven't seen anybody saying that Smith should get more of a look and start games at first base. I, the, everybody seems to be pretty much fully on board with the fact that Alonzo is really good and is clearly the starter there.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just, that would just be silly.
2: Right. But you never know. Um, <laughs> all right. Next. Is there a next? That, that, that's it.
1: That, that's it. Oh, okay. Uh, next is your music recommendation for this week.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, so I've been going back and forth a little bit, but I think I, I've, I've generally preferred to stick with new stuff here, um, but I'll, I'll go back to an older one now. Uh, being that we're going to Solid Sound, which is Wilco's festival in Western Massachusetts at Mass Mocha. Uh, happens every other summer, which is the name of a documentary they made about it. And I think it was, it was covering, it had footage from the 2013 one, maybe 15. Um, but in that spirit, I would say if I were to rank all their records, I, I would there's a different record that I would put first. But for me and, and and for us, it was really uh, Sky Blue Sky that got us hooked and got us into them. I, you know, they had been a band that I had heard about quite a bit and then never really taken a dive into. And then uh, they were playing a show at the Warsaw, which at the time and still, if they did it today, it would be an insanely small show for them. Yes. And... Uh, a couple of friends were going, had a third ticket, and somebody bailed. And day of the show, reached out and said, you know, hey, do you want to do you want to take that ticket? And that was when I kind of took the the plunge. So they were touring around that record. Uh, that's what got me hooked, and then that's what had me dive into everything that came before it and be, you know, addicted to every piece of music they put out after it. So. I always find it kind of fascinating where people get in on a band. Um, There's nothing wrong with getting in when they're on the ground floor or when they're medium sized or huge or haven't made a record in 20 years. And you just figured out that this is a thing that you might want to listen to. So in that context, Sky Blue Sky was that that was my door into the Wilco world. So I'll recommend that because it, it it did it for me. What would be your overall favorite album of theirs? Uh, I think Ghost is Born is probably the strongest combination, even though it doesn't have Nels Klein on uh, on guitar.
1: Right, but but it has that really good Tweedy Lee guitar stuff.
2: Right, and he he's underrated for that work. Uh, but yeah, that the combination of the songwriting. And this the the instrumental sound that goes along with it, I think I think start to finish it's probably the strongest so
1: interesting yeah i had
2: I had heard a bunch
1: of Wilco like anecdotally you know on mixes and the radio and whatever, but I was working in college radio and my radio station had a copy of mermaid Avenue. And so that was the first one I had listened to, like, front to back. And then I had heard, a like, a pirated copy of um, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot while it was – before it was released, you know. And then yeah. I went to go see the I'm Trying to Break Your Heart documentary at the like Art House Theater in Pittsburgh when I was living there. And that was what turned me into, like, a super fan. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, there's a uh, – I feel like there's a case to be made for almost every Wilco album as being sort of the best one, but I think I'm a super normie, and we'll just say Yankee Hotel Foxtrot's still my favorite. Okay. Um, But I, but you know, I, there are lots of, I, I actually, I've listened to Sky Blue Sky a lot lately. Uh, I've been really into the last song on Wilco records lately. Okay. And I think On and On and On might be the best one.
2: Hmm. Okay. Magnetized is up there for me. Okay. I could see that uh, there, there might be a bias, uh, given the, the connection there, but, um, the, the, the co-writing credit there. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Hmm. But yeah, I, I, I forget. I've, um, seen them 30 something times now. I might, be, I, I might be getting it to 40 this weekend. I could tell you if I open my spreadsheet, uh, and because I have one of all the shows I've been to since I started do. doing it, at least, um, yeah. <laughs> they there was a show they opened um, and somewhere it's not up to date at the moment, but there is somewhere where I have a spreadsheet of all the set lists they've played in all these shows so I can do pivot tables in Excel and figure out which songs I've heard how many times. I mean, I, that,
1: I, I do that for Weedon shows, so I understand.
2: yeah. Um, oh, actually, no, I think this weekend will be uh shows Piazza and <laughs> I guess Matt's would be the current. I, I can't think of a better 32. Wait, did Henry Mahir wear 32? I am so bad with player numbers. All right, let, let's find out. But I, I think the last time we had seen them was the last solid sound, uh, and then. It was kind of neat that that was the thirtieth show, happened sure, yeah during that. So anyway, I've seen them a bunch of times. At one of the shows, they uh, they opened with on and on and on.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
2: Which is, you know, it's uh, I don't I don't want to say it's totally sad and depressing because I think there's a message in that song that is taking that subject and trying to make it not be that agreed. But the, uh, you know, there's this uplifting message to, to the topic, but, uh, as an opener, it sets a different tone than Absolutely. maybe your standard show.
1: So, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, I know I was at a Wilco show at the Wellmont theater in 2010, they played two nights there. I'm trying to see which one. Oh, this was definitely the one I was at. Okay. Did they do it on and on and on? They did not that night. can't remember. That was a great show, though. Um, but so for my pick, I was going to pick the Los Hot Quesos, who I saw in concert on Saturday night. Oh,
2: uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I already made a
1: commercial that aired during the show about that album, so I figured it would be overkill to put yeah. a second a second commercial for that album in here, so fair
2: enough. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I I won't object. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but uh, so
1: I've been uh, debating with some friends recently. Uh, you know, there's a band that, that the three of us really really love, and it's a band that I think has a really impeachably strong discography. And so we've been ranking their albums, and that band is the New Pornographers. Okay. And um, so I, I've been I've been just like in a text chain. With two friends debating this back and forth, and so I've been thinking a lot about the new pornographers, and so I'm going to pick their second album, 2003's "The Electric Version," and uh, it's it's their most like straightforward rock and roll record. Uh, almost every song is like a driving electric guitar song, and um, it has, I think, their best song on it, which is called "Testament to Youth" in verse. And they're a band that has two songwriters. The one songwriter writes like literally two-thirds of the songs, if not three-quarters of the songs. And they have a guy who writes three songs in the album. And um, that guy's name is Dan Behar. He's also in a band called Destroyer. And uh, so uh, Testament to Youth and Verse is a Behar song. It's it's incredible. It's my favorite song of theirs. It's in probably my top ten songs of all time uh, in general. But this album is just like pure power pop Really strong, really strong songs. Nico Case is one of the vocalists in the band. So you get amazing vocals, really strong hooks, some uh, some incredible drumming from the drummer Kurt Dahl, who is no longer with the band, but was still with the band in 03. Uh, maybe one of my favorite drummers of all time. Uh, it, I fantasize about like hitting the lottery and getting him to play on an album I write because his drumming is just, it's it's the best. Um But yeah, you can't go wrong with any song on this album. It's 13 songs, and there's only two songs that I wouldn't have glowing things to say about on it. It's super fun. And it also, it's one of those albums, and I'm sure that you have albums like this, everyone who's listening to this, but this came out um, in between my junior and senior year of college. And so I have a lot of memories of just having a lot of fun while this album was playing. You know, just that was a very happy time in my life and uh yeah, I lived in a great apartment with two friends and we had this album on a lot that year. So there, there are memories that are like inexp they're inextricably tied to this album that I can't separate. But it's fantastic. The electric version by the new pornographers. Um so Chris, if any of our listeners are at Solid Sound, should they uh, come get your autograph on a new hot quesos record?
2: Uh sure who i'll probably have some in my trunk there you go Uh, (laughs) for the record i didn't we didn't we didn't set up an autograph station people just started asking so yeah or we would you know deny somebody's happiness or whatever that cliche is (laughs) Um, absolutely but yeah no, it's uh it'll be interesting we actually uh we went to a like in somebody's house kind of show that is open to the public in freehold, New Jersey, uh, called the concerts in the studio. And it's not something that gets publicized and all that. They don't have that hard of a time filling the room, but it is something that you can be tuned into and you can just go as anybody and, and be there. So, uh, uh, what was my point? I had a point. Autographs. Oh, Yeah, yeah, and then just the whole solid sound thing. So, right, so we go, and and three of the members of Wilco had some side project stuff um, that they are doing, and we saw that show there and everything. And uh, I'm actually uh, curious to see how many people who are in that room because pretty much everybody who would go to a house show on a Sunday night in New Jersey of half the band is in on the level that... They're gonna be at this festival, right? Yeah. And so, pretty much everybody in the room was like, "See, it's odd sound." And I'm wondering, in in, in a couple of days, how many of those faces I'm gonna remember specifically, right? And how many moments of just like, "Hey," I mean, I, like names. Of course, that's not that's out the window. No, nobody should remember each other's names uh, from any of these interactions, but. It's going to be the place of, okay, did I see this person a few months ago at that house? Or did I talk to them at like the last Solid Sound? Or there was a guy I had a conversation with about Solid Sounds at a Slater Kenny show at Irving Plaza (laughs) when they did their like shrinking tour. Um, At the end of the year, they did their comeback. uh, what was that? Twenty seventeen, I think, maybe mm-hmm. sixteen. But what, yeah. whatever year it was, so yeah, I'm 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 gonna be curious about that. But I will say that um, my wife has been uh, not shy at all. Whereas I'm not saying I wouldn't bring up the fact that okay, I'm in a band and we made a record and it came out last week. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to doing that, but uh, my wife is much less shy about it, and and I I appreciate that. I love that that it is just like. It's nice to have somebody who will just kind of not have your own apprehension about your own work and say, Oh, Hey, if you like this, you'd like his record. And it, it just came out and all that. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll throw some in the trunk. They might all come home with us. That's okay. But uh, we just want to have them there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's cool when you're a super fan of a band and you get to know their fans and you just like recognize people at shows and that, and it's really fun. It's really satisfying until you bring an outsider with you to one of those shows and you try to <laughs> explain like, Oh, I don't really know that guy. I've just seen him at 25 shows. And they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You know? So then, you, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had that with mission of Burma for a little bit. It's actually been a long time. I wonder what that guy's up to. Don't remember his name. <laughs> like five or six shows in a row. And the funny thing is my cousin and I went to all those shows except one, but we went to all those shows together over a long span of time. And it would just be like, uh, Hey, how's it going, man? Whatever kind of exchange. But I, I knew that guy because I had seen him in that context so many times.
1: Yeah, there was uh yeah, I have a lot of stories like that. <laughs> there, there was a period of time where I was seeing, uh, the Pixies or Frank Black like every every possible time I could. and there are friendships that I've made that that like extend to like Facebook friendships and all that there's just from these random people who we, we just have like a, you know a band we love in common. so that's always cool. Anyway, enjoy yeah. solid sound. Thank you. I'm jealous. Um, I, I have a verbal commitment from my wife that we will take the kids next time. All right. Because, like, oh. my, my kids are, are, are still, I think, I think my son is still too young to enjoy that, you know, to be able to do it for more than like a couple of hours. So, you know, next
2: time. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I like it. But, you know, uh, until
1: then, go to AmazingAvenue.com. Check out everything we have going on there. There's lots more Mickey Callaway analysis, because we know you need more of that. Um, we've got, uh, you know, game recaps, news, lots of stuff on the minor leagues, so check it all out there. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at AmazingAvenue. You can get this show from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me and Chris on Twitter. He's Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, until next time, let's go, Mets.